Good morning, church. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. Um, and if you don't have your Bibles, you can see the Frontlines team here having some Bibles. Just put your hand up. Um, they will come and give you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible um, at home, you can take this home as our gift to you. So we'll be reading from Luke chapter 12, verse 22 to 31. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they, ne neither, soar, so, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O ye of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, church. Uh, as Matt said, my name is Pat, and... Uh, I get the privilege of serving the church in, in two ways. Uh, so one, I'm currently the, the team leader for our global missions program. So I help uh, coordinate, uh, facilitate uh, what we do on, on a missions with our missions budget. And then I'm also serving as a, an elder in training. Uh, so this last uh, year, I've been in the process of joining our elders board. Well, hopefully in 2020, uh, I'll, I'll be officially on there. But it's been a an interesting journey for me to realize that being an elder is not about um, coordinating the activities of the church. Being an elder is about caring for the people in the church uh, and ultimately seeing us be ready for Christ's return. So, so that's our job, to shepherd the sheep to get us ready for when Christ comes back, um, which, yeah, which was fun to me to go through that. Um, Historically, I've heard kind of people say that, you know, if you want to hear God laugh, you want to have God laugh, tell him your plans. Uh, for me, it's, it's kind of been a little bit different. You know, I make God laugh, or I think God laughs at me, when I tell him what I don't want to do. Okay? So something like, like be involved in missions. Um, the church that I grew up in was not missions-minded. When Anita and I started dating, uh, you know, I joined in with her church community. They were very missions-minded. And I remember explicitly thinking, like, yeah, this mission stuff, this is a great idea. People should be involved in that. But that's really not me. You know, I, I, I'm very content to, to work in the, the activities and the stuff that needs to happen here. I don't need to really worry about missions. Um, or, or adopt children, you know. You, you would think about, you know, adopting kids. And, and my initial response was like, man, I can hardly be a good dad to the kids that I have. Why on earth would God want me to have more? Um, or even preach sermons. <laughs> I, I can explicitly remember thinking to myself, like, you know, 
sermons, these are great. People should be doing that. I, I'm more of a doer than a talker, so I'll just worry about the doing things. Um, so yeah, so here we are today. Um, while I was serving in Ethiopia, my family adopted two children. Yeah, I'm sure you've met Levi, uh, my son. Um, you haven't met Teddy probably, but you know, I have two adopted children. I serve as the team leader for our missions program, and uh, yes, here we are preaching a sermon. Um, <laughs> So we're trusting. We're trusting that God can do great things because we know that this necessarily wasn't what I was thinking ever. Um, all right, so let's dive in. We, we, we've heard the scripture that read this morning, um, Jesus talking about finances. Uh, I've kind of been nagging Matt that we need to do some teaching on finances and then be careful what you ask for. Um, but Jesus makes these weird claims, right? He says, look to, look to the flowers in the field, look to the birds in the, in the air, and look how God takes care of those things. If God takes care of those things, can't he also take care of you? And when you think about that, and you think that God says, don't be anxious, don't be worried, your food's going to come, you're, you're, God knows you need this stuff, so just relax. And, and my initial response was probably like, well, it must have been a different world that Jesus was living in, Right? Because when I look around at the world that I see, uh, provisions, food, shelter, this is a challenge. This is a challenge for a lot of people. So clearly the world that Jesus was living in must have been different. For him to be able to make this claim, he must have been looking around and seeing something different than what I see, right? Uh, but, but that's not the case. I mean, Jesus lived in a time of Roman military occupation. So Jesus did the Israel nation, um, they didn't have control of the government. Uh, they were subject to high taxation that they had to give to these Roman military occupants. And they were longing and anxiously awaiting for a military Messiah who would free them from this oppression. So the world that Jesus lived in did not look differently than the world we live in. Yet he stands before his believers and makes this claim, don't be anxious, don't worry. Trust in God He's able to provide. So, this is weird. Where did Jesus' confidence, where did his faith come from? Um, Jesus' confidence in God as the generous host and provider, it didn't come from the observable circumstances that he was living in. Um, that his confidence came from a historical perspective of God caring for his chosen people in all circumstances. So, it wasn't what he saw that day that gave him this belief. It's what he saw as a history of the nation of Israel. Alongside of this, he also fully understood that God's economy does not line up with our human expectations. And that what we are experiencing now is temporary, not eternal. So when Jesus says, trust in God, God can take care of you, it's because he's looked to the past to saw how God was faithful in the past, and he was also looking to the future to know what was coming at the end. Okay, uh, John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Okay, right now is not really what we're focusing on. It's what's coming. That's what we're looking towards. So Jesus was able to look back at this troubled historical narrative of Israel and was also able to look forward to our future glory and proclaim confidence in God as the generous host. So what does this mean for us? 
And at Church of the City, when we look at these things, we like to go through these four kind of questions of how we analyze Scripture. We talk about who is God, what has He done, who am I, and how am I to live? So let's take this, this picture here and let's step it through this process. So who is God? Well, God is the owner of all of the earth uh, in our passage today. Verse 32, uh, we got, fear, fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why can Jesus say God can give us the kingdom? Because it's God's kingdom. God owns the kingdom. So who's God? He's the, he's the one who owns it all. Okay? God is also the sustainer and provider for all people. Uh, verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Okay, so God is the sustainer and the provider of this kingdom. Okay, uh, same with the grass. Uh, you know, of how much more valuable are you than birds? And God clothes the grass, which is here today and tomorrow, thrown into the fire. So who is God? He's the owner and sustainer of the earth. See, the problem for the Jewish people historically, and this remains a key problem for us today, is that we have a fundamental mistrust in God as the generous host. We don't think he can provide everything we need. Um, So we need to get over this mistrust. And it's difficult because it's just kind of ingrained into it. Um, When we look back at Exodus, um, we have this Jewish people... They were in slavery in Egypt. They're pulled out of Egypt. They see this miraculous escape from under Pharaoh's control. um, And they think they're going to go from that immediately into comfort, right? But there's this trial. There's this testing period. And they have a journey from Egypt into the promised land. Right away on the journey, the wheels sort of start to come off the wagon, right? Because they saw this miraculous escape, and already they're like, oh, crap, what next, right? Exodus 16, um, 13 to 20, they've entered into the, the, into the desert, and there's not a lot of food. There's not a lot. They left the land of flourishing in Egypt, and now they're stuck in the desert. Uh, and they're like, you know, Moses, what'd you bring us into? They're already mistrusting, okay? But God's got a plan. That evening, quail came in and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes of frost appeared on the ground and on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, This is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but in the morning it was full of maggots and began to smell. So let me ask you a question. This is a camp of like two million people. Did those who gather much do so because they're like, This is our food. Let's go out and get all we can get. And that those, those that gathered little, did they do it because they're like, well, I'm sure a little bit isn't enough? Or did those who gather little 
you know, was there a tent at the inside of the camp? By the time they got to the edge of the camp where the manna was appearing, you know, had all the people who lived in the perimeter of the camp already gone out there and gathered a whole bunch of... Like, are those people that gathered too little, are they looking at their neighbors and going, look at how much he's got. Look, look how much I got. I don't have enough. He's got so much. Is this what was happening in the camp? I kind of wonder if this is maybe the case. Did those people that have a little do so on purpose? But at the end of the day, what happened? Regardless of how much they gathered, each person had enough. Um, and I think in our society, we can actually get caught up in this a lot as well. Because right now, we got these massive, uber-wealthy people, right? Jeff Bezos, net worth $110 billion. Bill Gates, $106 billion. Richest Canadian, David Thompson, $32.5 billion. And there's a, currently a lot of backlash and, and, and angst against these people in our society and the rich 1%. Uh, we got a book about it. The Age of Increasing Inequality, The Astonishing Rise of Canada's 1% by a Dalhousie University professor. In his book, this professor um, claims that the middle class is unhappy about economic outcomes and discouraged about future prospects. So as Christians, should we be discouraged and sidetracked by these people? Should we be like the, the Israelites looking at the people with the full baskets and going, man, they get, they, they, their basket's really full, right? And I would say absolutely not, um, because our hope is not in the state of our present world. Our hope is in the Lord. Believing that we cannot get ahead because the rich have hoarded all the resources is believing that God cannot take care of us. However, our God is not handicapped by Jeff Bezos' mountain of worth. We live in a land that has enough. Um, but just like in Exodus, in our time, there's a group of people who are gathering all of this stuff. Um, we need to trust that what God has given us is sufficient. And for those people who are gathering too much, and they're trying to hoard it. Should we be jealous of them? Listen to what uh, James says. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. It says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. This corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. God is a God of justice. We may not see it today, but we are going to see it. We need to be content with what we have and not frustrated by what others have because God has the ability to provide what we need, and we need to trust in that. And those people that have gathered too much, don't worry. Don't worry. There is justice. Okay? So what has God done? Who is he? He's the owner and sustainer of the earth. What has he done? Well, he's called the people back to himself so that we can be reconciled with him. Okay? We were lost, but God made a way for us to return home. Now, verse 33, it alludes to this because in verse 33, he says, Provide for yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. See, the path for us is secure. We are returning home. Um, we're going back to be with Jesus. So our job now is to store up not treasures here on earth, but to store up treasures in those money bags that don't grow old. So this is what we're looking forward to, and what has God done? He's made a way for this to, to happen. In the meantime, while we are here on earth, God is taking care and sustaining us. 
And verse 28, you know, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You know, don't worry about what's going on. God is able to take care of you today. So how do we live in light of this? If we know that God has made a way for us to go home, and we know that God is able to care for us today, how should we live? Well, he says to us in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. This is a timeless principle for how we live right now. Um, Because we should be giving back a portion of our monthly income to God, because it's God's, and we need to give some of that back to him. Now, what do we give back? A lot of people, a lot of you know, times, you'll hear 10%. You give 10%. Sadly, that's not the right answer. Okay, it's a nice, simple answer. It would be great if it was the answer. It's not. And this is, comes from a Levitical law. Okay, in newsflash, we're not in Old Testament times. We are in New Testament times. We don't necessarily just apply the, the Levitical laws literally. Also, if we did, it wouldn't be 10%, because 10% is one portion of the Levitical laws. There's other laws about tithing, which actually gets you closer to like 18 19%. Okay? So if you really want to follow Levitical law, you've got to start giving closer to 20% of your income, not 10 Okay? So don't worry about 10 The amount is actually less important. What's important is that you start with something generous, realizing that your faithful commitment and trust in God is what's pleasing to Him. Okay? What do you do with this first fruit offering that you give back to God? Well, the local church is a great place to give some of that. So you can invest some of your first fruits in the local church. That would be wonderful. We try to be very responsible with the money that's entrusted to us. We try to honor God with what, what He has given to, to Church of the City. Um, but that's not the only place that you can give these first fruits. I would say that it should go for some sort of gospel proclamation, whether you're supporting a church plant, the missionary, the local church, something like that. You start with something generous, and you put it towards gospel proclamation. Here is the reality, though. We need to start this discipline regardless of our current financial position. This is a discipline. So if you aren't disciplined when you have a little... This discipline doesn't magically appear when you have a lot. It's not like, well, when I earn this much per month, then I can afford to give some away. No, you start, you give some away. Now, when you're starting out or or when income is tight, maybe you're giving away a small portion of, of, of your monthly income. And then as your income increases, you give away a bigger percentage, okay? Start with something. As you get more, you give more. But if you don't start now, it's going to be trouble. Uh, For my household, this kind of meant we had to adopt a give-first commitment. See, for a while I was self-employed. We didn't really know how much money I'd earn every month. So we'd kind of track the month, and at the end of the month say, okay, we earned this much, now we can give. And after too many months of doing it this way, I kind of realized, you know what, that's that's wrong. That's giving for my abundance, not giving based on, uh, on faith. So we changed up the paradigm. We said, you know what, this month, I expect a good month. I expect to invoice for this amount. So at the beginning of the month, we wrote a check to the church and to the missionaries we're supporting. We're going to give this away. And we're going to trust that God is going to give us a good month. So we're giving in faith instead of in abundance. Um, All the time that I was self-employed, four kids, single income, mortgage, everything, we always had everything we need. God faithfully provided as we were faithful to him with our tithing, with our offerings. Okay? 
Second principle, how do we live in light of the fact that God has made a way for us to return to him? We need to live under our means, not spending all of our resources on our immediate wants and needs. Uh, Verse 29 and 30 says, Do not seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, nor be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things. You see, the sole purpose of our income is not to buy food, clothing, cars, and a bigger, better, fancier mentality. That's not what our objective is, to store up things for ourselves here on earth. Um, We need to step back from this. We need to be giving our first fruits, but then allocating the rest of our finances with the plan to spend less than what we earn. Because when we're spending less than what we earn, we're leaving money to handle the emergencies within our life. We're leaving money to be there for friends, families, co-workers when they're in a time of need and can use a hand. And we're leaving money for special campaigns or offerings within the church. See, we have to discipline ourselves to give first to God, but also trust that what He's given us is enough and make sure that we have something left over so that we can be generous and help out others. Okay? Who am I after all this? God is the one who's created the earth. He owns it. He's sustaining it. Where does that leave me? Well, I'm a deeply loved child of God. And I have the opportunity to accept God's forgiveness through the sacrificial death of Jesus in order to become part of this chosen community. Okay? I'm welcome in to this family. Okay? As part of God's chosen community, I can put my faith and trust in Him to provide for all of my needs. So how do we live? If we believe that we're part of this chosen community, if we believe that we're here to serve God, how does this affect the way we do things? Well, I think a key thing is that we live in God's timing and not our own. And we see a shining example of of people kind of taking things into their own account. Uh, Again, back in Genesis, we're kind of rolling back to some some, uh, Old Testament examples, but uh, Genesis 16 here we have Abram and, and Sari. Abram's been promised that he's going to be the father of a great nation. So God said to him, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you as, as great as the, you know, your offspring will be like numerous like the sand in the seashore, right? Uncountable. So God made this promise to, to Abram. He was 75 years old when this promise was made to him. And then he waited. 75, 80. He's now 85. Ten years ago, ten years as promise has been made to him, no offspring. Sari, she's probably like, you know, biological clock. My biological clock is ticking. You know, what's going on? We're running out of time here. Okay? God made this promise to them. So they're like, we're tired of waiting. Let's figure this out on our own. So Genesis 16, 1-4, it says, Now Sari, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sari had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sari, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So here, Abram and Sari use a maidservant to fast-track God's promise. This is reasonable from a human perspective. It's been 10 years that they've been waiting. God told them what was going to happen. They knew that this was what God wanted. So 
they kind of fast-track things. I think in modern times, we can use debt in the same way. See, God promises to take care for us. God promises to give us everything we need. But what if what we think we need, or what if what we want, God hasn't provided enough for us to have that? Well, no problem. You can go to the bank. You can fast-track God's promises by getting a loan today. See, taking on debt um, is a tool to manage large purchases. You know, it's debt that's, that can, can be used for buying a house, buying a car. Uh, sometimes we can even use debt for simple day-to-day things. So you put it on the credit card, no problem. Okay? We've heard at times that people will say, well, there's good debt and there's bad debt, you know? Don't worry about debt if you're using it to buy a house, get education. You know, these things, these things are good things to go in debt for because they're assets or they're improving your future. But I'm not necessarily sure that we should buy into this idea of a good debt for a bad debt. Just because you're using it for a particular purchase doesn't necessarily mean it's good or, or, or bad. Uh, inappropriate use of debt can lead to significant interest payments, additional fees, and in some cases can make you a slave to that asset that you're using the debt to buy. Uh, we need to consider all of these factors and be willing to rent, save up cash. Um, for students, maybe you need to take a year off school um, and work in order to pay for the education. There are valid alternatives to taking on debt. And I think we need to, to be careful. Are we using this debt to fast-track what God has promised for us because we're, we're impatiently waiting for what we think we deserve? Okay. Secondly, how do we live in light of this? Um, we're to look to the Lord, not to the Kardashians. Food, shelter, education, transportation, these are basic human needs. We can't live without these. And our Heavenly Father knows we need them. You know, remember, it says in the Scripture here, it's His good pleasure to give us these things. Verse 32, God wants to give you good things. Okay? However, God's provisions may not keep you on par with your neighbor. They may not be the house that you think you deserve or the clothing that you really, really want. And we need to avoid using all of our income or worse yet, taking on debt to fill in these gaps. We should not decide that we can afford a new car simply because we can put it on weekly payments. Um, Nor should we convince ourselves that we deserve the full university experience because OSAP is going to pay the rent. See, now you're getting stuck into kind of the world's economy and living the way they think. God's economy is different than the world's economy. When God talks about the flowers in the field, um, he says this is more, more beautiful than what King Solomon was wearing. Um, you know, let me go slightly off script a little bit here, but this Queen of Sheba, she came from, from Ethiopia up to visit King Solomon, right? She went, went into Israel, looked around, saw all the stuff that King Solomon had, and said, you know, people told me about the wonders and the splendor of this kingdom. I didn't believe it. But now that I'm here... I'm like, they didn't even describe it fully. It's more than what I ever imagined. And God says that the lilies in the field are dressed better than this. Okay? God's economy is not our economy. And what God values is not what we value. So if we think we need certain clothes or certain house or certain things in order to be happy, we're getting sucked into the world's measure and not into God's measure. Okay? 
when we, when we get sucked into that world's way of looking at things, then the clothes, the cars, the house, they become our treasure, and our heart is pulled away from the Lord and directed towards those things. We, we need to resist that. We need to live counterculturally. The world tells us that as long as we can make our payments, everything is okay. However, I would suggest that if our debt obligations are preventing us from living generously or causing us to live as slaves to our obligations, we have used our debt and our material possessions unwisely and have ultimately purchased things we can't afford. All right, so let's, let's bring this home. Here's a reality. We live in a world where a generous God has provided enough for everyone. However, this generous gift is corrupted by a distrust in God that leads to hoarding and jealousy. Our job is to keep focused on the kingdom by disciplining ourselves to trust in the host. Okay? What this means for us to trust in the host, number one, we acknowledge that all of our resources and our, and our possessions are not the result of our own intelligence or our own hard work. They are not things that we deserve, but they are blessings from a generous host. Okay? Verse 24 again, God feeds the birds. Of how much more valuable are you than the birds? The possessions, the stuff that you have, are not because you're skilled, you're smart. They're because God has provided for you. Because we believe that these things are gifts from God, we acknowledge this tangibly by taking a portion of, of that and giving it back to God. So our heart is already directed to say, what I have is not mine, it's God's. And then you live that out by giving a, a portion of it back. So we use a portion of our resources to give back to God, to tangibly say that this isn't mine, it's yours, here it is. Doing so, this is, verse 33, this is providing yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. See, if you take what God has given you in this life and you try to hoard it and you try to keep it and you try to cling to it, you're going to lose it. But if you take that stuff and you invest it back into God's kingdom, you are storing it up in heaven where you're going to have it for eternity. Okay? Thirdly, we don't use human financial instruments to take a focus away from God and His provisions. Two things that we can do, if we are using human financial instruments, two bad things can happen. One, we can be storing up wealth on earth such that we're no longer dependent on God. When you have enough possessions, when you have enough money in the bank, the first thing you start to do is say, I'm okay, I don't need to worry, and you trust in yourself instead of trusting in God. So we don't use human financial instruments to take our focus away from God. Um, we also don't take for ourselves things that not, God has not provided. So we don't use debt to build up our own material possessions. We trust in God to provide the things in His timing and as we need them. Living this way is seeking first the kingdom and allowing God to add these things unto us and ultimately leads to treasure stored up in heaven instead of treasure stored up here on earth. So does this mean it's inappropriate to ever take on a mortgage? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that you should never, ever take on any debt. Uh, what I'm saying is that if you are going to take on some debt, you need to ask yourself a few questions. Number one, is this debt obligation going to prevent me from living generously at the present time? 
Am I going to be spending more of my income on satisfying this debt as opposed to being able to live generously and, and give to my neighbor, give to my church, give to the people in need? Uh, secondly, do you have a realistic plan to pay off this debt? And if there's, if there's no realistic option to paying this off, I would wonder if you're being more like Abram and Sarah and you're forcing the issue instead of trusting and waiting in God. See, we have to prioritize God's wisdom over what the world offers as financial wisdom. See, the bank, the bank doesn't care about the kingdom of God. The bank only cares about the bottom line. And we must consider more than what the bank says we can afford in order to determine what is reality for us. Okay? Does this mean we don't save for retirement? And I would say absolutely not. No, we need to be shrewd managers of our money. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And the plans of Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. While we should save for retirement, we should never place a higher priority on our own financial future rather than living generously with our money today. So for my family, what this has meant, you know, we, we, we had this time of like mortgage and kids and all that stuff. We kind of came out of that time. And, you know, during those things, like, yeah, money's a little tight, right? You're not really worried so much about retirement at that point in time. So for, you know, Anita and I, we kind of came out of that. And then we're looking at it and say, okay, I got, I got a good job, stable job. Yeah, we've kind of sacrificed a little bit the retirement savings. So let's catch up. But in the decision to catch up on retirement savings, we made a commitment. For every dollar we put into retirement savings, we're putting a dollar towards charitable donations right now. We have a one-to-one -one matching thing. Everything that I put into RSPs, we give away the same amount. Because my financial future should not take priority over living generously today. And who knows what's going to happen in the future? Do I want to store up a whole bunch of stuff only to have the markets crash and it to be vaporized? You know, or, or my life to be shortened and, and, and I don't really even need it. Like, what we're storing up is trying to be balance being faithful stewards of being responsible with our income, but also living generously and sacrificially today. Okay, so in conclusion, for us to live as good financial stewards, we do need a couple things, and I'm going to throw out a couple kind of scary words for you, okay? Here's a couple of scary things you probably don't want to hear. Number one, financial plan, okay? Financial plan is nothing more than looking forward with your finances and making an intentional strategy of where you're going and what your goals are with how you're allocating your resources and, and in the longer term what you, where you want to be. And the second term that's a little bit scary, and nobody's going to like it, but it's a budget. Okay? And a budget is just simply how you're going to get there. You have a financial plan that sets a direction. A budget is basically going to be how am I going to allocate and use my income today in order to get where I want to be. Um, for us to really live out as good biblical financial stewards, we have to take stock of our finances and build an intentional strategy for where we're going and how we're going to get there. Okay. For some of you sitting here, you're actually thinking a lot of this is crazy and you're struggling financially. There's always more month than money. And I would say two things. Number one, 
This could be a season of your life that God is walking you through. We do not live in the Old Testament times. Old Testament times was pretty simple. Follow God, God provides, right? It was a material kingdom. Um, We are not living in that material kingdom. We're living in this already, but not yet. We're living in this time where actually Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have suffering, right? So if you're going through a period of financial struggles, this could simply be a time of your life that God is walking you through. So hopefully be attentive to God. Be attentive to what he's trying to teach you uh, and learn the lesson, and, and hopefully maybe, you know, you'll, you'll get out of it. I don't know. Some people actually, I know some people that they've been in this a really, really long time. Maybe they'll never get out of it. But just because you're struggling financially does not mean God is punishing you or, or, or God has something wrong. That's just a little bit of the reality of the age that we're living in. So don't stress about it. However, for some of you, this may not be the case, and you need to dig a little bit deeper. If you're going through times of financial challenges, a couple questions for you. Are you faithfully and generously giving back to God a portion when is He entrusted to you? If not, start now. Even though there's more month than money, live generously. Give back to God. This is a timeless principle. Second of all, have you made purchases or life choices that are constraining you? If so, what changes do you need to make in order that you're trusting to God to provide and not making a name for yourself? It's conceivable that you've made a purchase that wasn't a purchase that God wanted you to make. Do you need to roll back on that? Do you need to find another strategy? Um, These decisions are hard and potentially life-changing, but ultimately it's about living in freedom, not being a slave to the material economy. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one or love the other, and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So yeah, this is budgeting, this is financial planning, and this is sacrificial living to put our priorities on God as opposed to our priorities on what we think we deserve. And it's, it's difficult because we look around at this world and we say we clearly see people with, where, where the times where there's not enough. Okay? But it does come down to that idea of this already but not yet. We're, that's the age we're living in, right? Jesus has promised the future is secure. This is where our eyes need to be focused on. And if, if we allow our eyes to be distracted by what's going on around here now, it's going to take our eyes away from that. You know, we are living in this time where there is trouble, but take heart, God has overcome it. And we need to discipline and challenge ourselves to live in faith like we're in that end time. Are you able to trust God enough to live like you're living in a time of abundance? Even though when you look around today, that's not consistent with what you see. Because that's what Jesus said, right? Jesus was living in a time where there wasn't abundance, where there was troubles, where there was, uh, you know, again, Roman military occupation, all of those things. In this time of trouble and suffering and trial, he said to the people, trust in God. If God can take care of the ravens, he can take care of you. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. So that's our challenge for us today. Church of the City, we want to help you through this. Um, 
We have people with skills in this area of budgeting, financial planning. So I, myself, I have a little bit of skills in this area. Uh, Andrew Johnson has got some skills in this area. Uh, Matt KG, another one of our elders. Uh, Rolly and Willie. Um, there are people who have walked through this stuff and have been able to balance and come up with some plans of these things. All of us will be willing to talk with you and help you in this. Uh, we will be willing to come to your MCs. Uh, if you're, as an MC, you guys want some, some training together, whether it's coming to an MC potluck night, coming to DNAs, uh, we would meet with you individually. Um, or if as a church, we want some church-wide financial planning seminars, uh, we would be happy to put those things on. This is where we would say, hey, we're looking to you to communicate to us, to tell us how we can serve you in this area. God wants you to have freedom in your finances. It's going to take discipline and it's going to take some sacrifice, but we're willing to work with you and help you find this way. So you guys got your comment cards, you got the email addresses, phone numbers and stuff. Let us know how we can serve you in this area uh, so that we can actually live, um, live the way that God wants us to be, not anxious about our money, but trusting that, that it's big enough and God is big enough to provide. All right. Yeah, let's pray. God, we do want to have faith in you. We do want to trust that you are the generous host who, is, who has created a world where there's enough for everyone. And we want to live in that, in that trust and in that faith. And we want to be free from anxiously worrying about money. So God, help us to discipline ourselves um, to struggle with this paradox of it's actually when we let go that when we see returns um, and, this, and this weird thing of how your kingdom works where it's actually in faith that when, when we think we're empty that you fill us up. So yeah, God, may we trust in you. May we trust in you as the generous host that has provided everything that we need and may we live in freedom in this principle. Amen.